Greetings from Quail Lakes Baptist Church in Stockton, California. Thank you for your interest in our downloadable messages. Our more recent teachings, such as Pastor Mark's current sermon series, are always available on iTunes. However, for a more comprehensive offering of Quail's Bible-based teachings from Pastor Mark and others, we offer an extensive archive of downloadable sermon MP3s on our website, as well as information on our fellowship and our ministries. Please visit us online at www.qlbc.org. These messages are also available on CD or cassette. For more information, please call our church office at 209-951-7380. We trust you will be blessed and edified by what you are about to hear. Thank you for listening. Well, I invite you to take the Bible this morning. And please turn with me to the Gospel of Luke, Luke's Gospel, chapter 17. We're going to look at a number of passages in the Gospels. This morning, we're going to explore a topic that is near and dear to the heart of Jesus, the topic of serving. And here's the key concept. When you serve, you express the heart of Jesus in a most amazing way. When you serve out of a heart of love, you express the heart of Jesus in a most amazing way. Not to mention, it's the pathway to greatness and joy. You want to be great? You want joy in your life? The pathway is serving. Well, I want to read a couple verses before we get to Luke 17. A couple verses from Mark's Gospel, chapter 9, beginning with verse 33. And listen to the word of the Lord. They came to Capernaum. And when he was in the house, Jesus asked them, his disciples, what were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet. They were like kids with their hand caught in the cookie jar. They, They kept quiet because on the way they had argued about who was the greatest. And sitting down, Jesus called the twelve to Himself and said, anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of what? All. You know, it's kind of strange. It's easy for me to study servanthood. Easy to read about a servant serving, teach about serving, admire serving, champion serving. I go to church and I'm deeply moved by what Jesus said about serving. I am pro-serving. I'm for it. And then I go home and I realize I'm for serving in every way except when it comes to actually serving. And that's why Jesus taught about it over and over and over again. Now, Luke chapter 17 is one of Jesus' strangest and least popular parables on the topic of serving. So let's look at it together. If you have the Bible open, Luke chapter 17, and we're going to start with verse 7. Suppose one of you has a servant plowing or looking after the sheep. Will he say to the servant when he comes in from the field, come along now and sit down to eat? Won't he rather say, prepare my supper, 
get yourself ready and wait on me while I eat and drink. After that, you may eat and drink. Will he thank the servant because he did what he was told to do? So you also, when you have done everything you were told to do, should say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. Now, this story seems strange. Jesus is supposed to be Mr. Servanthood. You know, Mr. Humility. And and he tells this story to his disciples where the master doesn't even bother to say thank you to his servant. Actually, it's precisely because of his disciples' resistance to serving that he tells them this story this way. And I think it's just brilliant. They all like to think of themselves as being number one. Being on the top. And he definitely begins by by appealing to that mindset. He invites them to identify with the Master. He says, suppose one of you has a servant. So now they get to imagine themselves being top dog. The one in charge. And then in the context of how work took place in that day, he describes dealing with somebody, dealing with a servant who has an unwilling spirit. In our day, it might look something like this. Which of you, if you had a spouse and you both got home from work at the same time, the kids were sick, the toilet was stopped up, the house was a mess, if your spouse were to hang up their clothes and say, hey honey, look at what I did. You know, I hung up my clothes by myself. I put my socks in the hamper. I did all these things without being told. Now you take care of all that other stuff, and while you're at it, fix me a steak to celebrate. Now which of you would put up with a spouse acting like that? Or if you ran an office, and one of your employees came in and said, hey, I'm at my desk on time, I successfully executed my commute, my shoes match, My computer is turned on. It's time for a break. I deserve a raise. And you, my so-called boss, come do my job for me while I do nothing and get paid for it. Jesus, in the context of his day, paints the scene of a hugely underperforming, entitled employee, and he asks his disciples, if you were in charge, would you put up with that? All the disciples are saying, no way. No way would I put up with that. Never. That guy would have to learn to do his job with a good attitude. And then then Jesus completely reverses the perspective for them and says to His disciples, so you also, when you have done everything you were told to do, should say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. In other words, disciples of mine, you're not the Master. God is the master. You're the servant. Now, that name, that title, that phrase, unworthy servants, does not mean they have a self-esteem problem. That's polite language in the ancient Middle East that means we will not be presumptuous or regard ourselves as entitled or we won't be all puffed up with pride. Jesus is saying, guys, I want you to be great servants 
And a great servant does not go around saying, look at me, applaud me, reward me. In fact, this parable actually points to one of the most important signs of growth in servanthood and in your spiritual life in general. And when you first obey God, for instance, when you first serve, it will seem to you that you have done something heroic. Like, honey, I've emptied the dishwasher. Get this on on video. Call my mom. She'd love this. Brag on me. When people asked Mother Teresa why she served, she said she did it for the joy. It no longer looked to her like she was doing something heroic when she served. And that's a sign of spiritual maturity. Love serves. Love looks for opportunities to serve. And where there's a serving problem, you can bet there's a love problem as well. Jesus teaches this all the time. And one of His most unforgettable stories is in the Gospels. It involves a time when Jesus was invited for dinner to the home of a religious leader named Simon. And we read about it, Luke chapter 7, verses 36 through 50. I'm not going to read through it, but I'm going to, to tell you the story. And you need a, a little bit of background, a little bit of context to understand. As a visiting rabbi, Jesus would have, would have been expected to be the guest of honor. And certain small acts of servanthood, of, of hospitality, would have been expected. Just assume. And part of the role that, that servanthood always plays in every culture is welcoming people. And in this scene, in this context, the, the customary greeting would have been a kiss. Now, if the guest of honor was a person of equal status, equal social rank, you would kiss them on the cheek. A child greeting a parent or a student greeting their rabbi would kiss their hand as a gesture of respect. And to neglect this would be the equivalent today of ignoring somebody. Like having a guest come into your home without even acknowledging their presence, without saying hello, without shaking their hand. And also in that culture, the washing of feet was mandatory before a meal. If you had a guest of high status you wanted to honor, you might wash his or her feet yourself. If not, you might have your servant do it. Or you might even just give the guests the water to wash their own feet. But that last option, that that, that would be uh, somewhat offensive. You might also have given them olive oil for anointing the head and skin because they lived in the desert dryness. Now, in this story, Simon does not serve Jesus in any way, any way whatsoever. There's no greeting, no kiss, no washing of feet, no anointing of skin. And you have to understand, these are not small omissions easily overlooked. This was like a slap in the face of Jesus. And the tension in the room at this party at this point was so thick you could cut it with a knife. And a woman is present. Now, banquets in those days were, were kind of public affairs. They, they would happen in the courtyard of the well-to-do. And anybody could just walk up and, and watch and, and listen. And this woman does. But she is unexpected. She's 
a sinner. In fact, she was a prostitute. She was known as such to the people in the village. But something, something was going on inside this woman. She had maybe heard Jesus teaching earlier that day. And something, something about Jesus struck a, a very deep chord in her heart. And she began to wonder maybe, how in the world did I get here? Nobody grows up thinking that, that this is what they want to do with their life. No young girl has this for their dream. And once she had been somebody's little baby, once she had been the center of a mother's hopes and dreams, but, but then things turned out all wrong. Maybe her husband had rejected her. And this was the only way she could survive. Maybe it was just the easiest way she was able to get money. But when she hears Jesus teach, it comes to her. She, right then and there, is loved by God. God still thinks of her and longs for her as if she were His daughter. It's not too late. Not even for her. She hears that Jesus is going to this dinner. Of course, you understand, she was not invited to the dinner. Not in a million years. She knows that. But she gathers up all of her courage and she comes into the courtyard where the dinner is happening and she, she's trembling with fear, but she's overwhelmed by love. And then she watches this scene and she, she sees how Jesus is treated by Simon, ignored and insulted, and she can't stand it. Her love and devotion and anger all well up to the surface. What could she do? Now, of course, she can't be the one to give Jesus a kiss of greeting. That would be totally out of bounds. And you can imagine how the people sitting around the table would interpret that. And then she, she has an idea. She will kiss His feet. Now, to wash somebody's feet was an act of servanthood. To kiss someone's feet in that culture was an act of utter abasement. Complete humility. Now imagine the drama. Jesus is he's reclining at the table. They, they didn't sit in chairs normally like we do. He's reclining, leaning on his elbow, and his feet are facing out from the table. And the woman, she walks up uh, toward him, and everybody is watching. Everybody knows who she is. She kneels down to kiss his feet, and she looks at Jesus. And instead of judgment or ridicule or embarrassment, there is only love. And she has not seen that look in the eyes of a man in a long time. Maybe never. Here she sees it in the eyes of the best man she has ever known. Who loves her not as an object, but like a daughter, like a friend, like a sister. Who loves her not in the shadows, but in the light. And tears come to this woman. A few at first, and then more. And then before she can do anything, they're just pouring down her face. Tears of sadness for what she has done. Tears of gratitude because Jesus offers her forgiveness. Tears of joy because Jesus has filled her with, with this strange new hope for her life. And Jesus' feet 
unwashed by Simon, are wet from this woman's tears. And now she all of a sudden is cognizant. You know, I'm crying all over his feet. His feet are wet and she's wondering, how can I dry them? And there's no use asking for a towel. Simon would never give her one. So, So on impulse, she lets down her hair. And you have to understand, again, this is another shocking breach of etiquette in that day. A woman always wore her hair up in public. She never allowed it to hang loose in mixed company. It it was actually considered too provocative for men to be able to handle. That's why a woman's hair would always be up. And if a married woman let down her hair in front of any man other than her husband, it was considered grounds for divorce in that day. Everybody knows her profession. Everybody knows she has let her hair down many, many times with many, many men. But now she's doing it one final time. This time, she's getting it right. She lets her hair down and dries his feet. She also had an alabaster jar of ointment. Most likely, this refers to a flask worn around the neck as a kind of perfume for the woman. Again, because of her profession, this flask was quite important. But she empties it all out She won't be needing it anymore. Understand? She's pouring out her life. She cannot anoint his head. She's a sinful woman. He's a holy man. That'd be scandalous. So she pours it on his feet and she kisses his feet over and over. You see, love serves. Love serves. Simon is watching. This is not turning out at all the way he had planned. He says to himself, Jesus must not be it after all. If if he were even a, a prophet, he would know who this woman was. If Jesus was even a prophet, he, he wouldn't let her touch him with a 10-foot pole. And so Jesus tells a little story. He knows exactly what Simon is thinking. And, and he takes it head on. He says, Simon, listen, Simon, two people owed money to a lender. One owed a small amount, the other a huge fortune. Neither had the money to pay him back, and he forgave both their debts. Now, Simon, who do you suppose loved him more? And Simon said, well, I I guess the one who, who was forgiven the biggest debt. And Jesus says, yeah, those who are forgiven most love most. And then comes one of the greatest conversations in Scripture. And and I wish I could adequately convey it to you. You have to imagine this in your mind. The text says Jesus turned to the woman and said to Simon. So picture this. Up until now, the, the conversation has been between Jesus and Simon. Now Jesus keeps speaking to Simon, but his eyes are locked on the woman. And her eyes are locked on Jesus. Imagine her just beaming under Jesus' gaze. Her heart is pounding with shyness and fear and unspeakable love. Everybody now with Jesus turns to look at her. She was going to serve Jesus. And now Jesus is going to serve her. Jesus is just that way. 
And Jesus asked Simon, do you see this woman? Simon didn't. He saw an example of immorality or an object of contempt. He, he did not see at all what Jesus saw. And Jesus says to Simon, you gave me no water. Jesus is courteous. He, he doesn't even say, Simon, you should have washed my feet, but at least you should have given me water. But Simon, she has bathed my feet with her tears and dried them with her hair. You gave me no kiss. And somebody who considered himself Jesus' equal would have kissed his cheek. A disciple would have kissed his hand. But Simon, she has not stopped kissing my feet. I can picture Jesus saying, okay, you, you, you can stop. You, you can stop now. Simon, you did not anoint my, my head with common oil. She didn't anoint my head, but my feet. And she didn't use something cheap. She poured out on me the very best she had. The promise of a new life. And all this time, he's been looking at the woman and speaking to Simon. But now for the first time, he speaks to her. And now for, for a moment, it's as if it's just the two of them in that space. Nobody else in the world. He looks at her. She looks at him. And he says to her, your sins are forgiven. Your faith has made you whole. And her heart just explodes with joy. She was going to be his champion. And now he's being her champion. And then he has, he has one more act of servanthood. How you say farewell, how you take leave of people was extremely important in that day. It still is real. Jesus knows for sure Simon the host is not going to do that for this woman. So Jesus does. He says to her, go in peace. Shalom. End of story. You have to understand when Jesus told that little parable about the, the, the two debtors, he was not saying to Simon, Simon, you are a righteous man. You have hardly sinned at all. You don't need very much grace. Jesus knew there was a, a great sin defi defiling the room, but it's not the sin Simon thinks it is. It's the sin of lips that will not kiss, of knees that will not kneel, of eyes that will not weep, a heart that will not break, hands that will not serve. You see, the greatest command is the command to love. And the greatest sin is the refusal to obey the greatest command. Simon, don't, don't you see? You have the biggest debt of all. If only Simon could see it. If only Simon would, would fall on the ground beside this sinful woman and feel the pain over his sin as she did over hers and be overwhelmed that Jesus loved him anyway in spite of his lovelessness. If only Simon's tears would begin to flow and mingle with hers and they could bathe the feet of Jesus together. See, she needed grace for a heart that was broken. Simon needed grace for a heart that was hard. And I have to tell you, a hard heart requires even more grace than a broken one. 
And I just want to say to you, whether you're here with a broken heart and you feel beaten down and you feel wounded, or whether you, you have a hard heart and there's something you know, inside you that, that is just stiff toward another person, or where you have difficulty extending grace to somebody, Jesus is still in the business of healing hearts. And He will hear, heal yours so that you can love. He's teaching His disciples about this, about the, the power of loving servanthood all throughout His life right up to the very end. And I wonder if His disciples thought of the woman in this story. The last night, the very last night, they were with Jesus. They were gathered in a room and Jesus knew He was going to die the next day. And one more time, there was a problem centered around foot washing. I don't know what it is about foot washing, but the disciples have a little quarrel. Whose job is it to wash feet? Didn't anybody think ahead, you know, line up a, a servant, you know, some, a foot washer to be here? Do I always have to take care of everything? Like, like people sometimes do. Like we sometimes do. In all the ancient world, by the way, there, there is no record of a rabbi washing the feet of his disciple, except right here in God's Word. John chapter 13. Jesus got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, put a towel around his waist, poured water into a basin, and he began to wash his disciples' feet one by one, dry them with the towel. Whose job is it? Jesus is saying emphatically, it's mine. It's my job. I didn't come to be served, but to serve. I came to give my life for you. And then after he washed their feet, look at, look at this, John chapter 13, verse 12. He says, do you understand what I have done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. And so that leads in very nicely to, to the question, so who are you going to serve this week? And how are you going to serve this week? If you're married, how, how about your husband? How about your wife? John Ortberg, pastor and author, teacher, he says in his marriage, it's interesting, his wife Nancy, her primary love language is quality time, if you're familiar with the five love languages. He said, but at one point they had three children under the age of four. Think about that. And, and during that era, this is often true of moms, you know, very young children, her primary love language shifted from quality time to acts of service and being served. And it was not just about getting tasked up. It was about the, the love that got communicated by John doing those tasks with and for Nancy. He says it took him way too long you know, to tie together his acts of serving her with her feeling love. And Nancy finally said to him, John, do you understand? When I see you vacuuming, it makes me feel cared for by you. When I see you doing dishes, it makes me feel kind of romantic toward you. 
when I see you bathing our kids, I actually feel desire for you. Ortberg said, guys, I used to bathe those kids three, four times a day. <laughs> you know, I'd come home 10.30 at night. Kids, get out of bed. Get in the tub. Nance, come here quick. Look. You know. He says, now uh, all the kids are grown and gone and he's lost his secret weapon. All they have left is the dog. Hey, hey Baxter, get in the tub. Nance, come look quick. You know. It's not the same. It's not the same. Serving is a powerful, powerful love language. And being a servant, I want to put a caveat in in here. Being a servant is very different from being a doormat. If you're in a relationship where, where you feel like you're simply being used or taken for granted, or it's not even close to a full partnership, it will probably take some very courageous conversations. And Jesus knew He knew he had to bust stereotypes about servanthood. The most prominent one in his day probably was leaders don't serve. Those people with high status, the really important people, don't serve. But Jesus knew that the practice of servanthood is maybe most important for people who find themselves in positions of power. Because our egos are quite vulnerable to pride. Another stereotype sadly, that's still around, is it's the wife's job to serve the husband and make him happy and not vice versa. And some people actually think that's like biblical. But the Apostle Paul said, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Now, it's a little hard to get from Jesus loved the church by sacrificing his life for her to I love my wife by insisting that I get to be in charge of the remote control. And and I like to be in charge of the remote control as much as the next guy. But guys, I, I have to tell you that there are a few things I can think of that will strengthen marriages more than to be a church where husbands joyfully, intentionally serve our wives. So if you're married or you're in a friendship, you might ask a couple simple questions. Just get alone with that person for this conversation and ask that person on a scale of 1 to 10, how full is your love tank in our relationship right now? And listen. And then follow that up with a question. What would it take to, to boost that another you know, point or two? Uh, how could I help get that up to a 10? How can I serve you? And then do it. Now, acts of service are not just about marriage and family. They're about where we live. They're about where we work. This week, you could wash somebody's car. You could fill it up with gas. You could go with somebody to a doctor's appointment. You could run an errand for somebody at work. You could ask the person in the desk next to you at work, how how can I help you? Is there any way I can help you today? I want to give you a a challenge, Quail family, a, a challenge for this week and every week to follow. Are you ready? And write this down. You'll find it in your bullet. It's already there. But here's the challenge. Everybody serve someone in Jesus' name at least once this week. At least once a week. You say, once a week? That's not very much. You know, maybe not. I I didn't say it was the ceiling. That's the floor. You might serve the same person you know, a dozen times this week or serve a dozen people 
at least once this week. But you get the point. If we were all serving in this way in Jesus' name, the impact that would have for the kingdom. And let me be radical and say, let's just make this part of our greeting on Sunday morning. Hello, how are you doing? How's your serve? How are you doing with serving? There's a gal, uh, Melissa. Her married name now is Melissa Chesney. She's in her early 30s. She, she went through high school with our daughters in Michigan. Just a beautiful uh, person. And she put a post on Facebook. I went to her page this week, and here's what she has on the very top of her page. This under, you know, about me. This is what she says. I'm on a mission to help others, whatever that may look like. God has called me to serve, and so I shall. Melissa gets it. She gets Jesus. He has called me to serve, and so I shall. What has He called us to? I think of the great commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as you love yourself. And this is the way I put it. Love God supremely. Love God supremely above everyone else, above everything else. Love God supremely and love others deeply. And you do that by serving them with joy. And as we close, there's no place that serving with love is more important than in the church. The greatest among you will be a servant, Jesus said. So who's the greatest person in our church? Look up at the monitors. That person looks something like this. Bill wasn't here today, so it was a great day to, to throw this in there. He'd be so embarrassed. But Hernando captured this picture a couple weeks ago while Bill was not looking. And this is the scene I see when I come to church pretty much every Sunday, 7.30 or so. Bill is out there with the broom and he's sweeping you know, the, the worship center entrance, the concrete and the pot. He's sweeping away the, the leaves and the debris so it looks tidy so that nobody coming after will, will slip and fall. That's what it looks like to be the great, to be the servant of all. All those who will be coming after on a Sunday morning. And I applaud Bill. That's the last thing uh, he would want. But that's what servanthood looks like. And we want to be known for extraordinary, extraordinary servanthood here at Quail. So when somebody new comes to our church and they have children in tow uh, and, and they ask you, where do I take my kids? If you know, don't just point. Say, I'd, I'd be delighted to, to walk you there. I'm so glad you're here. You know, what an extraordinary child you have. See, for us as a church, every time somebody says, I care about little children, I'd like to serve them in the children's ministry. I'm going to roll up my sleeves and serve. How can I help? That makes our church great for the kingdom, for Jesus Christ. Every time someone says, I'm going to be a greeter or an usher or a campus host, riding a golf cart in the parking lot, helping people feel well, that makes our church great for the kingdom. Every time someone says, I'm going to use whatever gifts God has given me to serve this body, we get stronger and greater for the kingdom to the honor and glory of God. And if you've never done that, if you've been around quail for a while and you're, and you're a follower of Jesus, but you're still kind of sitting in the grandstands and you're spectating, I want to say, get in the game. Get in the game. That's where the joy is. That, that's where the fulfillment is. That's where the greatness is. 
in serving. Be a servant, not a spectator. And if, if today you're saying, I'm ready to serve, I, I am. I'm ready. Then I, I would say, fill out a communication card right now before you leave. And write on the back of that card, please help me find my special place to serve in the body of Christ. Because there is a special, there are hundreds of ways, but we want to help you find that special place. And we have guides who are ready to help you explore that and to find that sweet spot for you to serve. And let's all ask Jesus to help us speak His love language of serving this, to be just like Him, to follow His example. Let's aim for greatness. Amen? Let's pray together. Would you stand with me? I just want to say before I pray, every Sunday we, we have prayer partners, prayer counselors, people who love God, love people, love to pray. That's the gift God has given them. They would love to pray over you. If you have a need this morning, something going on in your life, maybe God has prompted you about something this morning, nudged you about something, and, and you would like prayer for that, please come down. They'll, they'll be waiting following the service. Don't don't leave today carrying that burden. You can cast that care on Jesus. And that's exactly what these prayer partners will help you do, just to look to Him and to cast your care upon Him. Let's pray. Father God, we love You. We come and we stand before You humbly. We are Your servants. There's no greater title. No better place we'd like to be than being under your direction and your guidance and your love and your care as you lead us as you in a sense Lord Jesus as you live out your your life through all of us you live within us and you express your love your care through us we're your hands we're your feet Give us eyes in our hearts to, to see the opportunities all around us as we go out this week to serve in Your name for Your honor and glory. Empower us to stay focused on that. Empower us Lord, to be able to, to, to serve with, with great joy. Not out of a sense of duty. Not, not because it makes some hero out of us because of the joy that comes with your blessing. We go out now in Jesus' name. Amen.